Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 32 of Greens with Envy with me, Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine and my Editor-in-Chief and my friend and colleague, Guy Cipriano. Today we talk basically about where Guy has been, what he has done, who he has talked with, and I'll tell you what, in the last four weeks since we last recorded one of these, he has been to quite a few courses And beyond that, he's talked with quite a few people who have designed beautiful courses. Before we get to that and before we get to Guy, just a few quick housekeeping notes. We know you have a story to tell, and we want to read it and we want to publish it in our sixth annual Turf Heads Takeover issue. Every topic is open on or off the course. If you have something that you want to write about, let us know. We just ask that all stories be at least 600 words and that you send them no later than Friday, November 5th, to either guy at G-C-I-P-R-I-A-N-O at G-I-E dot net. Did I spell that right? G-C-I-P-R-I-A-N-O, yeah, at G-I-E dot net, or me at M-L-A-W-E-L-L at G-I-E dot net. Again, the Turfheads Takeover deadline, Friday, November 5th. If you want to reread Turfhead stories from previous years, we're posting a different story every day on Twitter with the Turfheads Takeover hashtag. You can find those at our Twitter account. And all stories available online always at golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine. Just go through the last five December issues. This December issue will also feature our first Turfheads Guide to Grilling. That's a special supplement sponsored by AquaAid Solutions. If you have a special recipe, a special rub, photos from dinner, or even better, from a team event at your facility, maybe you treated your crew to... I don't know, it could be burgers, it could be ribs, it could be anything. Steaks, send those photos or those recipes on in. Everybody who submits anything will receive a Turfhead's Guide to Grilling koozie. It's green, it looks great. You can keep it or you can give it away as a special prize to someone on your crew. And if you wind up in the guide, you'll also receive a handsome and very practical maple cutting board. They're great. I don't have one of those, but I do have a koozie. Finally, survey questions for our annual State of the Industry Report will be landing in your inbox in the next few weeks. Just take 10 or 15 minutes, fill those out, help us, and in turn, help out the whole industry in understanding a little more about the year that was and the year ahead. There are always the benchmarks, especially your annual maintenance budget. There are some different questions this year that I think will shine a lot of light on the industry collectively. Those results will be published in our January 2022 issue. We will, as always, make a donation as part of that project to the We One Foundation. That's on behalf of the hundreds and hundreds of turf pros who participate in that survey every year. All right, that's enough for me. Let's finally hear, three minutes in, from Paper Rustling, Editor-in-Chief, Guy Soprano. Guy, what's going on? Matt, I am doing outstanding. It's Mm mid-October when we're recording this. And you know what fall is? The best time of year. The best time of year to play golf, maintain golf courses, and to do construction projects yeah. on golf courses. Well, in most of the country, yeah. In cool weather areas. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. should not show my sometimes geographic bias and put that preface in there. In the cool weather areas, it's the best time to play golf, work on golf courses, and improve golf courses. Well, you were born and raised and worked in Pennsylvania. You went to school in Indiana, and you now work in Ohio. So while you are well-traveled, you do have a Midwest 
and western east coast inclination to your worldview. Southern Indiana might as well be the south, though, Matt. Well, Bloomington, Indiana, it is part of the Midwest, though. It is. I don't know what the line is. It seems to be getting higher and higher. I always did consider Cincinnati to be the capital of northern Kentucky. Don't throw anything at me. Cincinnati's part of Ohio. Of course, I was in Pittsburgh last week, which is two hours down the road from where we live and work in northeast Ohio. Right. And it was in the mid-'80s in early October. Well, in the high here? I don't remember that as a kid growing up in Pittsburgh, it getting into the mid-'80s in early October in Pittsburgh. No, and I'm sure it did. I'm sure there were isolated days, but, you know, it's the same here. I think the high is 80 or thereabouts. We're just outside Cleveland, and I walked Margo to school today, as we almost always do if the weather's nice. And we told her, like, you do not need a jacket or a sweater of any sort. So she wore her polo shirt, she wore her jumper, and we walked our mile to school, and she was in great warm spirits. And nobody, when we got there, was wearing a coat either. So, yeah, October, what is today? Well, the it's, 11th. It's, it's the 11th when we're recording this. It's the 12th when you're listening to this. And it's warm outside, and that changes work and life for a lot of people who listen to this podcast. Shorter days, mm-hmm. still warm temperatures. Mm-hmm. Not as much humidity as the summer mm-hmm. means outstanding golf course conditions, thanks to our readers throughout the cool weather areas. I cannot tell you how good things yeah. are on golf courses right now that I play and visit. It is truly outstanding, and it's also inspiring when you think about a lot of the challenges that our readers face this time of year, especially with staffing levels. Uh, a lot of the employees who filled labor gaps during the summer in these cool weather regions are back at school and despite not having anything that would be approaching what the budgeted fall crew size is and many facilities things are just outstanding out there it's so much fun to play golf mm-hmm. in fact i think we should end this podcast now matt and just go out and play <laughs> nine somewhere well i mean this podcast isn't sponsored by anybody so we don't have to fill any any quotas where it's six and a half minutes should we just now we have courses to talk about we have people to talk about Lots of courses, lots of people. Yeah. Uh, before we get to that, just one quick callback. I know we talked about it only about three or four minutes ago, but the, the State of the Industry Survey, a couple of the trends this year, and it will be interesting to see what comes in, are the overall staffing levels. It feels like more courses than ever before were using more and more high school and college students. And when those folks went back from virtual to in-person class, that that dropped off a lot. And yet, at so many courses, conditions are incredible. We've played a few in the last few weeks where it is just, I mean, just chef's kiss. They're beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful uh, turf and conditions, and, and you know the weather helps too. But I hate to use this phrase because I just I have never liked this phrase at all. But I don't know if folks in the industry have ever done more with less. And that's not necessarily a smaller budget because the budget on average was over a million dollars maintenance, annual maintenance budget last year, according to our survey. But you know, far fewer people than normal, as you said, at this point in time. So it's, uh, it, it's great to see, and I really do hope that uh, the folks who are out there listening to this podcast and probably while they're maintaining the course and, and running the course 
uh, are able to take some time for themselves and, and, and rehab their mind after a really, really hard season. And it's not like demand for the product has steeply declined no. over 2020. Yes, the golf data tech numbers showed decreases in play na- nationwide in July and August, but in both of those months, six of the eight regions that golf data tech uses for reporting had double digit precipitation increases over 2020. Uh, we haven't seen the September numbers yet. And of course we're only in the middle of October, but numbers for these two months in the cool weather regions are going to be very strong. Demand for tee times is Mm -hmm. high still both on public and private golf courses. And that's the remarkable thing about what our readers and followers and listeners are doing the product that they're producing uh, with some of the labor challenges that they're facing, which isn't just unique to the golf industry. They're across the board in oh, sure. all, all walks of life, yeah. all service industries. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've driven past a fast food restaurant and it's, it's drive through only because they don't have the staff to open up the dining room. Yeah, I can't tell you how many uh, restaurants I've had to visit when I've been on the road here that have limited hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, severely yeah. limited hours, limited menus, limited Waffle seating House. capacity. We went to Waffle House last week. They, they had a limited menu. Waffle House. Yeah, here, here Matt and I, two uh, Northerners, we had a staff lunch at Waffle House. Well, we have to drive week. half an hour to get to one. but We talked business the whole half hour yeah. drive there and the whole half hour drive yeah. back and yeah, got stuff done. But let's get to some courses, man. Yeah, so you went to, I don't even know how many courses you went to in the last week in and around Pittsburgh. I'm wearing a, a beanie from one of those courses. Thanks for bringing it back. It'll keep me warm this winter. Where do you want to start? Because you went to some great courses. Okay, we won't go in chronological here. Okay. Order here. Let's start with the beanie that you're wearing, Matt. Okay, so Bob O'Connor. The Bob O'Connor Golf Course at Shenley Park, which is the one of the oldest municipal golf courses in the United States. It formed in 1897 as a nine-hole course. Mm-hmm. And then in the early 1900s, it became an 18-hole course. It was part of what was called the, the Pittsburgh Golf Club, which was private at the time. And then in the early 1910s, it became a public municipal facility owned by the city of Pittsburgh. A lot of the founding members of the Pittsburgh Golf Club went to start uh, their own clubs in Western Pennsylvania. In fact, you can trace the origins of Oakmont to some of the people that played golf and socialized together at the Pittsburgh Golf Club, which is now the Bob O'Connor Golf Course. It used to be called just Shenley Park Golf Course, and then uh, the course was renamed in honor of Bob O'Connor, who was a mayor of the city of Pittsburgh who died early, who had a big role in bringing the first tee to Pittsburgh and youth golf programs. And All cool the first tee of Pittsburgh is based at the Bob O'Connor golf course. And it's a fascinating place. You really do feel like you're, you're back in time from what I've been told. Most of the original routing is still intact, which means you play across Shenley drive. Yeah. So multiple <laughs> times, including on the second hole. So it kind of, you know, right away, people are hitting golf balls across a fairly uh, busy part of one of the busiest parks in West, western Pennsylvania. Shenley Park is right in the middle of the city of Pittsburgh. You can see the University of Pittsburgh's Cathedral of Learning from the golf course. Carnegie Mellon is right behind the golf course. Some of the uh, neighborhoods uh, that are pretty prominent within the Pittsburgh city limits, Squirrel Hill, Shady side are all close to this mm-hmm. golf course. Uh, so it's a high traffic zone. And can you just imagine? I mean, okay, we've been to, all been to courses where you've had to play across the the clubhouse drive, right? But or you're the not main entrance. But, but you're not normally like 
hitting a drive across the road. You have to drive across, you have to drive your, your golf car across the road, but you're not driving a ball across the road in most cases. Here, it looks like, looking at the routing, looking at the map, it looks like you're hitting a drive or other shots across the road multiple times through the round. Well, you know why that is. No, I don't, because I've never played it. Because the golf course was there way before the road was well, built. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I don't know, like... I, I do want to go back to to when some of the members founded their own clubs, and let's get to that in a minute. But let's finish with the road here. Let's finish with Shenley Road. Like, who had the bright idea to just build this road through? How many how many holes does it go through? I think Shenley Road goes through at three or four, and then there's another road that goes through another three. Yeah, holes? I didn't get a chance to play the golf course. I just kind of toured it and see what they're doing now and what where they're headed with it which is quite, quite the story here, and we'll get into this here in a, a minute. Okay. But you know, I, I'm looking at the scorecard, and at least four holes play across here, Shenley Drive. Do you, do you have it? Here, I'll look at I'm it. I'm not sure play. about this back road on the scorecard, but there yeah. are at least four holes, just looking here at the scorecard, 2, 17, 8, 9 play directly across Shenley Drive, and number three, hug Shenley Drive. So yeah. it gets all sorts of wayward balls. But, you know, I, I don't want to – and it looks like 15 – 14 and 13 also play across the road. So that's seven holes that yeah. play across. Well, there was, there was something the on, the, on the card. Can I see the card real quick here? On the back oh, yeah, of the Matt, card. Matt found this fascinating on the back of the scorecard. Well, it's just like, okay, so it, it lists the rules on the back and little, little course bits. And it says, the road defines out of bounds on holes number 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 8, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And if you were not counting along with me, that's 11 holes. 11 holes the road defines the out-of-bounds. That's insane. Yeah, and by contrast, I'm holding the scorecard here for Chartier's Country Club, which yeah. was another course that I visited while I was in Pittsburgh. And they have out-of-bounds as defined by white stakes on holes number 2 and 17. <laughs> the road defines out-of-bounds. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's two holes at Chartier's Country Club. Mm-hmm. It's like half of the Bob O'Connor golf course. But the Bob O'Connor <laughs> golf course is a place that – Oozes history. I yeah. grew up in I mean, 100, Pittsburgh. 125 years next year. It was founded in 1897, so yeah. that's 125. And I'm pretty sure that I played the course once when I was in high school, and I don't remember it being anywhere nice as it is now. In fact, I got to meet the person that's responsible for how nice it is now. I spent a lot of time with Superintendent Jeff Duxbury, who's been there for 22 years, came in 1999. He works for the, the first tee, so the first tee operates the golf course, and it's a very solid um, course. Now, of course, it's 18 holes, and it's only 4,620 yards, and it's walking wow. walking only. They have Love one that. golf cart okay. for the entire property, and it's driven around the, the tour people, and we did go around it. Uh, <laughs> myself, director of golf, and... Uh, golf course architect so, Jim Cervone did do some scouting, but there, of course Jeff Duxbury has util, utility yeah. vehicles in the maintenance facility. But if you're playing there, you're walking, and guess what? Western Pennsylvania is it's it's rather hilly. Are there exceptions if if somebody is in poor health or do they golf somewhere else? You know, I didn't look into that, but I'm sure because it's a first tee facility uh, owned by a city, I'm sure they have solar ri- rider carts and some options for people that have disabilities. Yeah. I you know I, I didn't really look that closely. I did see a lot of push carts around, and sure. I'm sure there were. I'm sure it's handicap accessible just because of it being a government-owned golf course. But, no, Jeff Duxbury has been there for 22 years, just has a three-person crew. Uh, sometimes they get help, help from a fourth person. His assistant superintendent has been there for 26 years. 
the course is in fine shape. It's got immense infrastructure and drainage issues because you think about it, 1897, uh, you know, really not much has changed on the property. So it, it, it drains in some weird ways, especially with the hills of Western Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, when Jeff got there, they were using two pieces of maintenance equipment. They had a riding old Jacobson Greens King mower to do the greens. And then they had a tractor, which they used to gang mow the fairways rough and all the other parts of the golf course. Now it, they have fairway mowers, they have um, zero turn mowers, they have the riding greens mowers, they have a sprayer now, which they, they didn't have back then. And uh, the level of maintenance, considering the resources that, that, that they have is very solid. But the big story at the Bob O'Connor golf course, Matt, is what it's going to become or what it has already started becoming. What has it already? There's so many, so many different threads to talk about here. But let's go since you led into it. What is it already becoming? So this year they opened the first tee of Pittsburgh, opened a building called the Arnold Palmer Learning Center. Okay, that's on the that's on the card. I didn't and know I, that was new. I, I toured that with director of golf Eric Kalina before I even went out on the golf course, and just wow, this learning center is awesome. The kids that are involved. In the first tee program in Pittsburgh, probably don't realize how lucky they are to have this. It's got an indoor uh, putting green with uh, simulators. It has the lobby is an amphitheater for presentations and classrooms with Arnold Palmer uh, timeline on the ma- walls. Cool. And they have some Arnold Palmer memorabilia, including a model of the plane that he flew. And I guess he, you know, Arnold Palmer was a pilot. And Eric was telling that. me this. And Arnold Palmer had 14,000 air miles behind behind the cock inside the cockpit flying planes throughout the course of his life. Huh. So they're inspirational quotes by Arnold Palmer, who of course is a Western Pennsylvania native. He was born in Latrobe or Latrobe, depending on who you talk to and how it's pronounced. So they were able to work with his family to get the, uh, in the company to get Arnold Palmer's name on the learning center, which is huge. There are classrooms in there. There are all sorts of meeting rooms. You go up to the roof and there are views of the, um, University of Pittsburgh's Cathedral Learning mm. and the Pittsburgh Skyline. It's it's the only really public golf course that has views of the city like that. That's cool. Chartier's Country Club has a little bit of a view of the USX Tower or the US Steel Tower when you look back from the first hole, but these are the best views in the city of the city uh, on any golf course. Uh, this learning center has a pro shop that has some cool branded black and gold uh, Swag, which which you're wearing right now, and the, the proceeds go to the first first tee. The, the colors they, they, of Pittsburgh. They all have, three uh, teams. you know, I found this fascinating. They have golf books, like shelves all over the place for golf books. It's just a modern, gleaming building. In fact, I was up on the roof uh, speaking with Eric Kalina and Jim Servone, and there was a um, a group of mothers with young children out there up there doing. I don't know if it was aerobics or Kinder Kids or you know one of those programs. So all, even non golf programming is rolling through there the first tee of course has its administrative offices there how big that, is the that, building it's that's a good What's question you know i'm so concerned with the golf course yardage yeah. and the, the golf course footprint which I mean, is just, around 50 acres so yeah. I, I i'm not sure i even asked about that but, but it'll probably be something i follow yeah. up on when I, I eventually write about this golf course so i mean with everything that you've mentioned it sounds like it's you know i mean if a house is 1500 to 2000 square feet uh, and you know a decent, you know, three-bedroom house, four-bedroom house. Uh, I mean, it sounds like it'd have to be 4,000, 
5,000 square it, feet? I think it's way bigger than that. Yeah, six, I, th- I think the putting green in there is probably a couple thousand square feet. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a significantly sized facility. Correct. Okay. And, you know, completely modern looking. It's certified green. Uh, the golf course is a, uh, has been for a while now, an Audubon International uh, certified sanctuary golf course. Uh, also in the building, it's pretty cool. They accept equipment donations, right? So they have a ramp that leads cars right up to the, the garage where they keep donating <laughs> equipment. And we went in there, and there are all sorts of clubs and balls. And, That's you cool. Know, people in Pittsburgh, like in a lot of cities, are, are very generous. So this is, uh, this is the first step in, in modernizing the Bob O'Connor Golf Course and making it uh, what a developmental program like the First Tee and Municipal Golf can become. There's also a plan, and I, I have it here on paper in the office, so there's a plan and a routing created by architect Jim Servone, which would, well, it would do a lot of things. It would make it a nine-hole, uh, I think around 2,400-yard course on one side of the road, and then a nine-hole par three short course for first tee programs Ooh. on the other side of the road. So, okay. you know, I'm thinking liability and safety right now. The golf course would no longer play along the road. Uh, That's good. Also a huge putting course, too, outside the, the clubhouse, like what we saw with the uh, Thistle do at Pinehurst when we were down there Is a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, Winter Park in Florida has that. You know, Of course, St. Andrews overseas has that. So The original Thistle. That do, would yeah. be a gathering area. Because you've got to remember, this is uh, probably the busiest park in the city of Pittsburgh, and you have all sorts of people taking hikes through there and running through there and riding their bike through there. Uh, Carnegie Mellon is basically connected to the – the golf course, and if you don't know anything about higher education in Pennsylvania, Carnegie Mellon is one of the most prestigious mm-hmm. universities, not only in the East, but in the whole entire country. There's this growing uh, tech sector in Pittsburgh. Oh, for years. And, yeah. and a lot of those people live near the golf course in the neighborhoods, and then, of course, the University of Pittsburgh's there. But the, the plan they have for the golf course, uh, created by architect Jim Servone, and you know he's been working with um, the people at the First Tee of Pittsburgh on this, just looks like a tremendous plan. It, it's going to honor the history of the golf course with some of the course features. Because it's on city property, no trees can be cut down, so they have hmm. to create a new golf course without clearing any trees. That's, mm. that's a pretty interesting. I'm a sure challenge. that's mind-numbing. Yeah. There's also the something called the Neil Log Cabin, which is the second oldest structure in the entire city of Pittsburgh. That's on the golf course, so that has to be routed around. And uh, <laughs> But you know, if this thing, if, if they do raise the funds to, to go ahead with the golf course, it's going to be... Uh, absolutely huge for not only municipal golf in western Pennsylvania, where there aren't uh, some of the municipal golf options that we even have here in northeast Ohio. It's going to be huge for municipal golf in the United States. And if yeah. you think about what what are people looking for, what are busy people looking for, what, what type of program are people looking to take their children to, what type of program do we need for introductory golfers, this place will have it all with a, a nine-hole course around 2,400 yards, the par three course, the putting course, the gleaming learning center. Mm-hmm. This is a really exciting thing. And you know, it's right in We can spend the whole podcast on this, but I'm going to yeah. be writing about it here for Q1 save, 2022. Yeah, save some material. And also, I'm not going to give too much of, a, of it away here, but Superintendent Jeff Duxbury has an incredible story about something he overcame last okay, year. Okay, I was going to ask, so I'm glad that you, you told me not to ask, so that's good. So that's the Bob O'Connor Golf Course. Like I said, we could, we could, I could speak for hours about this place as a person that was born in the city of Pittsburgh and lived in western Pennsylvania until I graduated college. Were you born in Pittsburgh? Yes, I in was Pittsburgh born proper. in the okay. city limits and okay. grew up in suburban Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, we're going to get to where I worked as a teenager here in a second. 
uh, I just felt so much pride of, you know, I, I really felt disconnected from my hometown because you go to college and you get your first job out of sure. college and I don't really go back that much besides work purposes. I felt proud to be a Pittsburgher again, going around this golf course. It's and, and seeing what Jeff Duxbury and his team have done with limited resources and then seeing the Arnold Palmer Learning Center and hearing about the plans, I felt immense pride to be associated with the city of Pittsburgh. It's kind of like what I felt last year, Matt. Uh, people who listen to this podcast might remember we talked about the foul course at Indiana University. Sure. And I had a chance to go around that last year with Steve Smyers, who I, I saw last week in Cleveland, and Superintendent Anthony Robertson. And you know, that golf course being built uh, where I went to school made me want to connect with Indiana University again. And I think that what's going on at the Bob O'Connor golf course is going to make Pittsburghers that have a passion for golf want to reconnect with Pittsburgh again. And also they're getting a lot of support from Pittsburgh's private golf community. And there are a lot of influential clubs and influential people who are members of those clubs associated with the game in Western Pennsylvania. So this is really going to be something that could mobilize a lot of people. And hopefully the first tee can work with the city to do the right thing for the golf course and do the right thing for uh, something that's so important to the health and wellness of the citizens of the city of Pittsburgh. There's really not, like I said, this type of municipal golf option anywhere near around. And yeah, I'm just jacked up about this whole thing. And we probably should move on to some of the other courses because I, I can talk for hours upon hours about this. But there are certain municipal golf projects like the National Links Trust and the Washington, D.C. courses and Cobbs Creek in Philadelphia and Winter Park in outside Orlando, Florida, that are getting a lot of the headlines, a lot of the attention. But this is as cool and as fascinating as any municipal golf endeavor going on in the United States right now. Yep. Before we get to any of the other courses, one quick note and one circle back. Uh, if folks do want to go back into the superintendent podcast, uh, super, <laughs> we've been doing this so long. Superintendent, superintendent Radio, Radio Network, Network archives. Yeah, if, if you want to go back into the vault, uh, we talked about the foul course at Indiana University in Greens with Envy episode 18. That was from August of 2020. And Guy wrote about the foul course, Brute of the Big Ten, in the October 2020 issue so both of those are online uh at golfcourseindustry.com the podcast obviously spotify apple wherever you listen to your podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast before we get to those other courses i do want to circle back one thing you mentioned when bob o'connor well before it was bob o'connor but in the 1910s when it went from public to private and a lot of those original members branched out and helped start their own clubs you mentioned oakmont do you know any of the other courses? Because there are some, some, obviously, just incredible and legendary Pittsburgh tracks. What were some of the other courses that were founded? Before we get to that, away? so the Arnold Palmer Learning Center is 14,000 square 14, feet. 14,000. That's huge. Okay. Uh, you know, I, you had it in your I've studied the history of the Bob O'Connor course briefly. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm an expert on it, and I haven't done anything in-depth with it yet. What I'm going to refer our listeners to is, if you listen to the Talking Golf History podcast done by Connor Lewis. It's a good podcast. He did a episode on the Pittsburgh Golf Club. So that's where I would refer our listeners to to, to get much more information on the Bob O'Connor Golf Course and the Pittsburgh Golf Club that I'm giving you right now. If we had show notes, we'd put it in the show notes. We'll just, when we send out the social media link to this podcast, we'll um, 
Okay, it, we'll it, tag. Yeah. We'll, we'll do a separate post about yeah. the episode I'm referring to of Connor Lewis's podcast because it was outstanding. Yeah, it looks like it was their episode 58, which is actually from this January. Uh, they talk about the formation of the Western PA Golf Association, the creation of Oakmont Fox Chapel Pittsburgh Field Club, all in 26 minutes, which is less time than we've been talking here so far. So if that's it, that's Talking Golf episode 58. Yeah, and Oakmont Fox Chapel and Pittsburgh Field Club are. Three, Three of the heavy hitters of Western Pennsylvania private clubs. Yep. All right, so we're a half hour in. We've talked about one, one course, and it's a big one. Uh, but you went to other spots in Pittsburgh. What, what do you want to talk about next? Oh, let's talk about the one I just referred to, the one where I spent some of my teenage years working. I had a chance to go spend the day at Chartier's Country Club, which I visited last year as they were in the middle of a bunker renovation uh, involving a COO, Director of Golf Course Operations, Bob Davis, Superintendent Ben Hewitt, our friend Steve Forrest of Hills Forrest mm-hmm. Smith, and our friends at Aspen Golf Construction. I got to see the final product, and I grew up caddying at Chartier's Country Club. That's really what sparked my interest in golf and wanting to be around the game and playing the game and consuming the game as much as I could. So it's almost a year ago... To, the day that I returned, I was touring the, the project. They were doing the bunkers and a few of the, the greens, and they invited me out to see the final product, and it is super, super cool. So what they did was they renovated the bunkers to make them more reflective of a golden age style. So the history of Chartier's Country Club goes back to 1924. It was a Willie Park Jr. design, and the bunkers had over the years become, I call them geometric, ones that are real circular uh you know don't really look like they're throwbacks at all they look like something out of the 60s 70s 80s and 90s and there's nothing wrong with that that's what the private club member that's the the look that the customer wanted during those decades but it certainly moved away from what somebody like willie park jr had intended so they brought in steve forrest of hills forrest smith who had worked there oh geez i think steve and art hills were there like i don't know 35 years ago they also brought back the same contractor, Aspen, too. So here, here they go. They get a chance to bring the band together Pretty cool. back uh, way after uh, they originally did. And the, uh, the, the club president last year was a man, uh, an awesome man named Ron Moeller, who was also in a club leadership position when they did the work with Art Hills in the, I think it was the early 1990s or late 80s. So uh, just kind of odd that you, these people are all back together in prominent roles either with a golf architecture construction firm or within club leadership of the same club. So, uh, you know, they weren't really trying to do a, I guess, a true restoration where they put bunkers back in the same places. You know, what Steve Forrest told me what they were doing is it's kind of like remodeling a a classic car. You still want that car to be functional, functional on today's roads, knowing that you can't completely make it what it was when that car debuted in the 1920s or 30s. And uh, these bunkers are just just awesome they have fescue faces flat bottoms the flat bottoms of course are great for for maintenance and they just completely have changed the the look of a golf course and sometimes we hear all that clubs doing a bunker project and we think that it's just a bunker project but it signifies so much more it signifies the fact that the club is doing something to either honor its past or make itself more competitive in today's market and in the case of chartiers they're honoring the past and making the club more competitive in a crowded private club market in western pennsylvania it signifies a commitment to 
help out golf course maintenance teams because let's face it, some bunkers that were built during previous decades are a bit of a maintenance nightmare, and that's probably putting it mm-hmm. nicely. It signifies. I mean, that's why there's a whole sub industry designed to rebuilding bunkers. Yeah, it, it signifies uh, making a golf course maybe more strategic or trying yeah. to get a different caliber of event that you've had. It uh, signifies making the the golf course maybe even more aesthetically pleasing, and that's certainly the case at, at Chartier's Country Club. So it really means so much more than just a bunker project, and just a bunker project can be pretty dang costly too, man. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap doing. It wasn't cheap doing a bunker project two years ago and doing it right now it's become well well anywhere between 25 and 40 percent more to do the the same work that people were doing yeah two years ago is what i'm hearing from people in golf course construction yeah. and design so everything is more expensive right now yeah obviously so I, I had a chance to experience the golf course and i got to play with uh superintendent ben hewitt and steve forrest and steve's wife and we just had a great time and let me tell you this is uh a golf course that has changed a lot since I caddied there in the late 1990s. There are just these views that have been open through tree removal. Uh, Steve, Steve Forrest has uh, redone some of the problem greens. I remember the number two green when I caddied there uh, sloped so hard from back to front that really there was only maybe one or two possible hole locations. And even with greens at the speeds that they were in the late 1990s, I used to see members putt balls off the green and that got only, you know, Worse is green green speeds got even faster, so that that green's been corrected. Some of the other greens have been corrected, and of course, some members will probably say this is only running at eleven, eleven and a half. We need it faster. Somebody, yeah, somebody's still going to say there's this it's too thing, slow. unfortunately, in Western Pennsylvania called the Oakmont effect, and it sadly dictates the maintenance standards at most of the private clubs in Western Pennsylvania, yeah. and only one private club in Western Pennsylvania has the championship pedigree <laughs> and the budget of that's, an Oakmont country club. That's the but, bigger thing, but not that that's a tough thing to convey to, yeah. to members elsewhere, but yeah. it was just so cool going around there. Um, you know, Bob Davis and Ben Hewitt and the team are just producing outstanding golf course conditions. You know, it's never easy, right. But having bunkers that uh, drain a bit better and our flat bottom certainly eases some of the strain on the, the maintenance team. Uh, the, the fescue faces are something that's just going to get better and better over time. It's going to be a cooler look. I mean, that, that that's a tough thing for our readers to convey when they're doing a bunker project or or any project that involves fescue or native areas on on faces or wayward areas. That, that takes three to five years to to, mm-hmm. to get right. You know, members sometimes don't have that type of patience because they expect instant gratification. But anything involving fescue or native areas is not going to be the way it's intended to be immediately. And that, that's one of the challenges that our readers have is communicating that after a project. But no, Bob and Ben and the team already have the fescues uh, faces in really good shape, and I'm sure they'll get that better over time. And it, it was just cool being there. I didn't really, so I'm 41 years old now. I caddied, I think, between the ages of 15 and 19. I didn't realize how darn hilly that golf course was. I'm going around <laughs> and we're taking golf carts, and I'm thinking, how did I lug two bags around this place for, youth for years yeah that's yeah. it's all that you know, i'm sure i can still youth. walk it you were you were in good shape because you're always in good shape but the but tree youth. removal really gave you an appreciation of yeah. of the terrain and how steep and hilly western pennsylvania is so it was so cool to be back there uh i'm gonna write a follow-up story to the story i wrote last year about their bunker project and really it was it's more than just a bunker project because shark tears has got some other things potentially in the works um the club is in a 
good position that it really wasn't in. It was never an, it was never teetering or in an awful position, but it's in a strong position right now to become even more competitive in that crowded Western Pennsylvania private yes. club market. Nice. I know my grand so my grandfather was a member there. GC one. And the the whole time which that was odd being a caddy and having a grandfather that was a member because I didn't really want anyone to know that my grandfather was a member, but my grandfather was a pretty charismatic, strong personality, and everybody knew him. So it, You also have the same name. Yeah, I guess that was tough to separate. <laughs> and, some of the, no, no and some of the members I've met uh, in my trips back now the last two years knew, knew my grandfather. Yeah. So, But you don't want, I think anybody that's a grandson or a son of somebody wants to just prove it on their own. And, sure. you know, I did everything I could to be the best darn caddy I, I could be. But the whole time I'm going around thinking of it, uh, thinking, you know, what, what would my grandfather have thought of Chartier's Country Club now? And I, I told Ben Hewitt at one point, and I said, my grandfather would be so damn proud of what you guys are doing and what the golf course has become. And then I kind of paused. So think of the ellipsis here. But he probably would have been one of those members that complained about the assessment and dues increase. <laughs> he was that you, type of person. But you no, can't have it all. What a, what a tremendous job! And yeah. I think we'll go on to another course now that is doing bunker work. All right, the next course in your Pittsburgh sojourn last week. So this is a really cool one. This is uh, how I ended the time in Pittsburgh. So it's been five years now, and I can't believe this. I wrote about one of my first construction projects here at golf course industry. I had a chance in 2016 to, to visit Swickley Heights Golf Club, which is a 1961 Jim Harrison design. It's a Parkland style golf course, uh, has a reputation of being one of the toughest golf courses in the Pittsburgh area. And in fact, that's so, so it's got the golf club at the end of it, not the country club. So that get, usually when something's called a golf club, you know there's some serious players there. There's that, a little more focused membership. That, that take sure. their golf pretty, pretty darn seriously. Yeah. So in 2016, I had a chance to write about a, a greens renovation. They were stripping uh, POA off of greens and moving it from green to green and rebuilding the drainage and the infrastructure of the greens to make the greens perform at a consistently high level throughout the course of the year. And, of course, it was partially a let's keep up with some of the other clubs in the area, which one that I just mentioned, everyone tries to keep up with in Western Pennsylvania. So that was really cool in 2016. I'm still a pretty wide eyed young golf course industry associate editor at the time. And I, that day I spent with uh, superintendent Randall P Pinkney, assistant superintendent, Corey Chiza, uh, Swickley Heights director of golf, David Malatek, architect, Jim Servone, mm -hmm. and the team from Aspen, and, golf. and I'm curious, so again, since you brought all of them up, and they were all there five years ago, Guy, how many of them were there for this project? That's what makes this visit and story oh, really cool. Okay. So five years later, get there, standing on the put putting green, <laughs> chatting with the exact same people to I did every five, single one of them. five amazing. years ago. So that's amazing continuity, and I, I think that tells you, a lot of things. The fact that they got the greens renovation right five years ago uh, gave them equity within the club and credibility within the club to go ahead with another needed project. Uh, I think it also shows that the quality of club that Swickley Heights is, that mm -hmm. they keep employees in key positions well, on that long. I mean, David Malatek, the director of golf, has been there for more than 20 years. They don't have the general manager position, so he sort of 
handle some of those roles for the club. And Randall Pinckney now has been here, been there for six years, and Corey's been with them all along. And well, and that that's the amazing one is you know to have a superintendent there six years. Okay, that's not it's not crazy to have a, a director of golf there for six years. That's not that crazy. But to have the same assistant there, and I'm sure that you know he's had other offers to move on kind of move elsewhere, move up maybe. But, uh, you know, you're doing something right when you're keeping your assistant happy for that length of time. You know, you're giving them enough to do and enough fulfilling work to do. Uh, that, that, that I think, is, is the biggest thing from that note. Yeah, and Corey's still a relatively uh, young man. He is a young man, much yeah. younger than me or Randall or Jim or <laughs> the other ones. So of 30s, us. 30s. Yeah, he was is the what youngest person standing on the putting okay. green when we were having our conversation, and then we had a great con- conversation about that continuity and what they're doing in the bunkers. And then, you know, we went around the golf course, and it was great because I uh, spent the morning with Jim Cervone at the Bob O'Connor Golf Course, and then see him in the afternoon <laughs> at Swickley Heights Golf Club. Hey, how many and, projects you have going on here? And he's a really good story in in and of himself. He's yeah. one of those architects that you don't hear a lot about that just goes and does quality work wherever he may be asked to do work and you know he's busy right now in western pennsylvania that's Good where him. that's where yep. he's based out of and they're they're you know more than 100 architects like jim Servone out there that just do quality work that you don't hear about because you hear about the same you know what half dozen big name golf course architects so it was cool to see you know what a project now multiple projects at a, at a club with the reputation of swickley heights means to somebody like jim Servone and you know, we went around and they were, you know, taking out the existing bunkers and rebuilding the new bunkers. And the bunkers were already done on a few holes, like 10 and 18. And, I, you know, you walk up the 18th hole to get to the putting room where I met everybody. And it looks like the bunkers had been there for five years already. So that's how good of a job they're doing, how fast they're moving along. Uh, Aspen does great work wherever it's asked to do. They're, they're a great golf course builder. Um, Donnie and Ronnie, our friends, own the company. Uh, got to meet with... Uh, Jeremy out there, who's one of their young project managers, who used to work in a mine shaft in the West Virginia coal fields, and now he's working <laughs> golf course construction. So, needless it's a to whole say, other story. he's oh my very gosh. appreciative of what he has now, and getting the opportunity to work at places like Swickley Heights Golf Club, and instead of working literally below the earth. I, yeah. uh, people complain about bad days on golf courses and how, how stressful the job can be, but you know, anyone that I've I've met a few now. Uh, I met a few when I was at the Greenbrier doing some of my stories there. And, mm-hmm. and, and Jeremy from Aspen, uh, though I'll tell you that working on a golf course, even on a bad day, uh, when the members might be a little bit cranky and the weather might not be great, is a heck of a lot better than working below the surface of the earth. Any, any mine. Yeah. And, and what's unique about this is that they're doing the work on the bunkers during a great time of year to play golf. They're still playing golf. So they're doing yeah. the bunker renovation. You know, They're trying to do a few holes at, at a time while play is going on. So that requires a lot of understanding by the membership, a lot of, a lot of communication, a lot of those uh, upfront conversations, and they're getting it done at Swickley Heights. And Swickley Heights, I mean, Randall and Corey and the team do a fabulous job. It's one of the best-conditioned parkland golf courses I've ever stepped foot on, and I've stepped foot on some tremendous parkland golf courses. I mean, everything is just so tidy and orderly, and they have trees on the course, but it's not – overly treed and they're not going to get rid of all the trees because the trees are part of the character of the golf course and uh, they have greens that are definitely uh, designed and constructed 
better for success than what they used to have. And now they're getting the bunkers to that level. They're putting, putting in the better Billy Bunker system. Okay. And, you know, they've been able to get all their supplies when they've needed them because they really got this going in motion last November. And you know, it, 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 it's tough in the construction world right now to get projects on track. But great fall weather, uh, experienced contractor, experienced architect, experienced superintendent and director of golf and assistant superintendent. And what do you have? You have what's going to be a successful bunker project. So it was cool to get back there. And, you know, I could have spent all night talking to uh, that group. They're such a fun group to be around. And it's cool to see how they've all advanced in their own careers, even though they're at the same place. Uh, they're doing tremendous things to take that club which is already a high-level club to even a higher level. And right. you, can, you can do a different level of work while at the same place, is what you're saying. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and they, they've yeah. just... Uh, so I want to correct something. Hmm. Uh, the project manager on the Swickley Heights project for Aspen Golf is Justin Chadwick. His name's not Jeremy. So I apologize, Justin. Justin Chadwick. We'll get it right in the story when we get around or writing to it. And J- Justin Chadwick's first golf construction Great project... Name was the 2016 Greens renovation at yeah. Swickley Heights Golf Club. So I'm sure he's seen his uh, career kind of come in a circle. I don't like to use the term full circle because if you make it to the end of the circle, that probably means you're at the end of everything, right? So yeah. you're not – you're probably dead if, you, if you've come full circle. But anyway, uh, it's cool to meet people who have worked somewhere at one point in their career and have been able to go back to that place and have kind of been able to reflect on – where they've been in that time. Yeah. Life in general, as a real quick aside, life in general is a circle and everything about earth is a circle. And it's why we were meant to be outdoors. And this is a great thing for golf. Like in, in, in constructed society, we live in a house and that's a box and we drive to work in a car. And that's probably a box. And we go into an office and that's probably a box and all these boxes but you outside, the earth's a circle, trees are round, you know, your life in general is a circle. So to come full circle, you're right, to come full circle, you're probably at the end of the circle, but we're always somewhere on the circle. I don't mean to get too philosophical 46 minutes into this podcast about golf courses, but that's just me. So enough philosophy, enough squares and circles. Uh, you saw Jim at least twice last week. Did you see him in Cleveland too? Because there was a certain big event in Cleveland just last week. And uh, you get to spend a couple days there. And I wasn't terribly jealous, but a little, little tiny bit jealous. We'll get you there one of these days. Yeah, I'm not worried. There's, yes, there's, there's always going to be another one. I saw Jim and 60 other golf courses architects not too far from our headquarters yeah. because the American Society of Golf Course Architects held their... 75th annual meeting here in, I guess it was sunny Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, in no, early it was, October. It was beautiful weather. Uh, they were here, what, they were here, was it Sunday, Monday, Tuesday? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Uh, Sunday through Wednesday. Yeah. And I got to spend Monday, all day Monday with the group, which was awesome. I got to participate in a panel discussion with Derek Duncan of right. Golf Digest and Garrett Morrison of the Fried Egg. And real quick, they both do incredible work. I like their work a lot. I read. I listen to the podcast. Maybe this was just an oversight by the ASGCA. Only one of the three of you was properly tagged on Twitter. 
by the ASGCA. Probably because I just tweet more than those guys, and they're Maybe. sick of me tagging them. So it's it's in there. Mark Whitney, <laughs> the director of communications for the ASGCA, runs that Twitter account. Yeah. He's a friend of ours. That's, so that's not a slight at all at, at what Derek and Garrett do. They, so yeah, they do great on, work on that too. Monday we got to you know it was an honor to be involved in that panel discussion. Uh, you know, you just sit at the front of the room and look at some of the people in there, and you're like, what am I going to tell? this person that they don't already know. Well, I mean, what did you tell them? I'm sure they, you told them something that they didn't know. I told them that don't be afraid to tell your story. Yeah. There are more than 14,000 golf courses in the United States. There's no way people like myself or Derek or Garrett, as much as we're golf junkies and study these things, know what's going on at all 14,000 golf courses. Mm-hmm. So uh, be proactive about telling your story. If you're working at a facility that allows you to publicly release information, don't be afraid to send people like us a few paragraphs and photos of what's going on and or send us an email message saying, hey, next time you're, you're in the area, do you want to come visit whatever the name of the course is to, mm-hmm. to see what we're doing to it? Well, and that's if, everybody. That's not just architects. That's superintendents. Yes. It's, it's anybody. Yeah. And, and that was my message to, to the room is, no, we're always looking for content. We have this thing called the internet. We have no space restrictions on our website or social media feeds or even on this podcast, we could talk for four and a half hours about whatever golf courses we want to talk about. And we may not keep a listener for all four and a half hours, but we have the the forum to do it. And Matt may not want to edit a podcast for four and a half hours. The but long podcast. my point is is that there are so many ways to distribute content that didn't exist. And my my message to the room was to be proactive about it. You're doing great work. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're helping golf courses and the game of golf become better. All you have to do is do some simple things and that can get the word out. And I gave the example of golf course architect, Chris Wilsinski, Mm -hmm. who just talked with him first. Whenever he's involved with a project that he can publicly release details of, he sends us a few paragraphs, some images, some quotes from himself and the superintendent and other people at the club about what they're doing and how this is helping the golf course. And we post it on our website. A lot of the times the arts are really good. So we'll post it in the top spot for a few days. We share it over social media. And in our October issue, we have a Matt wrote a great story about a course in Michigan called Blythefield country club, which is the host of the LPGA's Meyer classic. Mm -hmm. So we, we knew the name because of the LPGA, but we didn't know what was going on there. Chris, a year ago, sent us some details about what they're doing there, and you know, it's a full-length feature story that Matt wrote in our October issue. So, and, which is online now at golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine, along with the rest of the construction and renovation issue, which has some great, great, great stories from uh, New Jersey and Minnesota and Michigan. Yeah, so that was my, one of my messages to the, to the room. You know, it was kind of an interesting panel because Derek with Golf Digest and Garrett with the Fried Egg primarily reach golfers. We reach people that work in the industry. But I would make the argument that if you're a golf course architect or golf course builder or a company that wants to align with those people, that you probably would rather, in a lot of cases, reach the superintendent, which is our primary audience, than the actual golfer because Todd Clark, who I met in person, who we had the last Tartan Talks conversation with, which I believe was number 63. Yes. Met him. It's, it was great. Met, I, I met a lot of the Tartan Talks <laughs> guests in person who I haven't had a chance to meet, meet in person yet. Now, Todd Clark brought it up in our podcast conversation that the superintendent in many cases is the number one driver on making course improvements and mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, you know, commit, uh, uh, contacting architects at a golf course. So you know, even though we're a little golf course industry, you know, what our audience is probably the audience that a golf course architect would rather reach in a lot of cases than the general golfer. Now, of course, there are exceptions to that. And it was, uh, so my message was you need to tell your story to people that could eventually reach out to you about doing work. And mm -hmm. the story of golf course architecture, in my opinion, isn't told very well. It's really told through the prism of what about a half dozen big name architects are doing. Mm -hmm. There's so many great people out there like the Todd Clarks and the Chris Rolzinskis and the Jim Cervones and the Steve Force. And I could name all the people in that room that are doing great work that most people don't hear about because it's the, it's the same half dozen architects that work at courses that were developed by the same two or three developers that get a lot of marketing buzz and, and publicity. So yeah. the story of golf course architecture and what's being done to improve golf courses in the United States isn't being told very well to the general golfer, in my opinion. So it's very important for the people that work for the ASGCA. And I would say the same thing with GCSAA members is to, to be proactive with your story and reach out to people that maybe could share it with the people that you're trying to reach. And I know it's tough because we all want to be humble, right? Like we don't really want to talk to, about ourselves. You know, here, here Matt and I are on a podcast sometimes talking about ourselves, but we would much rather be talking well, to, to the people listening to this about what they're doing. So we talk about ourselves in basically what we do and who we, who we yeah. talk with. It's never just like, well, I went here and this is what I thought. Nobody cares what like. Maybe people care about what you think about, like, Chartiers, because you caddied there yep. for four years, and you, you do have that connection. But most of the time, it's just like, it's a club. We've been there. We were there for a day. You know, you, ha you share your impressions of it, but it's more so sharing the story of yep. the people there. And I, how it impacts our readers, yeah. what's being done. I have a question, and, and I should know this because I get the emails, but I've never really thought about it. How many, how many golf course architects do you think use any external PR. Now that granted that's a cost, right? And yeah. To get you no know, sometimes you get what you pay for, right? Like the best marketing firms probably right. probably cost more. And if you're running a one person golf course architecture firm, you may not you may not have the the resources to commission somebody like that to, right. to tell your story. You're basically you're having to do it yourself. So it's another thing is what I'm getting at. Yep. Like you know, on top of finding the work and designing the work and doing the work and working with contractors and seeing it from, you know, conception to finish, then you have to promote the work as well. And if you're not a self-promotional person, it can be very, very difficult to promote that work. So, yep. it, it, you know, if there are any golf course architects listening, and they're probably more prone to listen to Tartan Talks, which is another great program on the SRN. Um, and like you said, more than five years in, 63 episodes now. You know, it, it's just one of those things where, you need to be able to promote your work, whatever you do, but especially in, in that industry, yeah, it just, uh, it, it can be tough, but yeah, I mean, you know, promote what you do because there's, there's a built-in audience that's going to be interested in it. So a few years ago, I remember attending the Green Start Academy, mm -hmm. and one of the presenters was Billy Weeks, who's at the, mm -hmm. who at the time yeah. was at the Duke U University Golf Club. So mm -hmm. he's speaking to a room of superintendents, has a really good job, in North Carolina, you know, a couple hundred people applied for the job that Billy received. And Billy told the room, if you're not willing to tell your own story, 
nobody else is going to be doing it for you. So you have to be proactive with some of these right. things. And I know it goes against golf course maintenance and construction <laughs> nature because these are some of the most humble people imaginable who fight a lot of challenges, uh, most notably the ultimate uncontrollable in weather. But you know, Billy's words really resonated with me, and hopefully it resonated with some of the people in the room. And then a few years after that, you know, Billy gets hired at Houston Country Club, which is not only one of the biggest <laughs> jobs in the southeast, it's probably one of the biggest jobs in the country. And, yeah. and Billy is not a braggadocious person, but that's just the reality of it, Matt. If you're sitting around waiting for somebody to tell your story for you, you're probably going to be waiting for a long time. There are very few. Even if you pay them well. They're very, and we'll get to the, <laughs> we'll get to the, so the Donald Ross banquet was on that Monday, which I yeah. had the honor of attending too. Yep. The, the people who received the Donald Ross award, which is the ASGCA's highest honor, were Ben Crenshaw and Bill Corr. Well, there are very few people with that name recognition who work just comes to them in the golf industry, but their message was just so outstanding too. They're two of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet, and it didn't all start roses for them too. I mean, they started in the mid-1980s. You know, they formed their business, and it, it wasn't just because Ben Crenshaw had won a Masters and was a big name, and Bill Corr had the architecture and golf course construction and maintenance background. They weren't, people weren't knocking their door down at the beginning, and they had to start from somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, that reputation kept on growing and growing and growing, and now... And that's a guy who won a Masters. Now they don't even use, neither of them use email, because neither of them have to use email. I mean, how awesome would it be to be, you know, so highly thought of in your field and so good at what you do and have that name recognition that you don't even have to deal with email because somebody's dealing yeah. with it that's, that's, for you. That, that's akin to Bill Murray not taking, not having an agent and you have to call this, you know, pri- almost private 800 number to send in pitches. And he may listen to it and he may not and he may get back to you and he may not. You know, Corn Crenshaw aren't that... Well, aren't that Obtuse, there are but. very few Ben Crenshaws and Bill Cores who yeah. can work in their field and not really have to worry about business coming to them. Right. They're, they're, right. But their message but it took, was but so it took good. Them a while to get there. It resonated with so many people in the room. They're such genuine people. You can see why people love working for them and why people love playing their golf courses because it's all done. And Matt can see this. I'm pointing to. My heart. Yeah, they use their head to make decisions. Oh, I thought you were pointing to the golf course industry logo on oh, your yeah, shirt. Yeah, and I just came away from that banquet <laughs> thinking, you know, humanity could use more Ben Crenshaws and yeah, Bill Cores. And even after the banquet, they hung around for hours, just holding court with uh, golf course architects that are looking to just get one break, like the one that they've had throughout the course of their careers. And mm-hmm. you know, people were taking pictures with Bill and Ben and having them sign autographs for them. And it was really cool to see them uh, just hang out and talk architect to architect with their peers. And uh, that's a night that you're really humbled to even get an invitation to and see it play out and be in the room with those type of people. Of course, last year's Donald Ross award winner, Renee Powell from Clearview Golf Club down the road in Canton was there. And uh, it's always great to to see her and her her family story is so inspirational Mm -hmm. and Bill and Ben's story is inspirational, and everyone in that room has an inspirational story. But like I said, I think the lesson here is sometimes you have to be proactive uh, about telling that story and find mm-hmm. ways to do it in humble, not look at me ways. Yep. Tell your story, no matter where or it share is. Share it with Matt, and Matt will tell 
your story better than it's ever been told before. Or, this was not the intention of this, but Sheridan, the sixth annual Turf Heads Takeover issue. Submissions due November 5th. Yes, Sheridan that. (laughs) We're always looking for submissions, and that's a great place to share it. That's a great place to wrap up. Guy, anything else from Pittsburgh, from the ASGCA's 75th annual meeting? I would just say that it's no secret that golf endured some lean times from 2008 to 2013. I started here in 2014, so I kind of missed the the bad of the bad, and it was sort of just the early stages of the recovery mode mm-hmm. then. But it is so awesome to see people that hung in there and tough, toughed it out and adapted their businesses, getting the opportunities that they're getting here in 2021. I mean, let's it's no secret golf's doing really well. Clubs are confident with their finances, even – Public facilities are confident with their finances because of the amount of play they've been getting the last year and a half. And it's just awesome to see people that have been doing great work, that have had have a passion for what they're doing, that really care about the people that they're dealing with, get the opportunities and some of the breaks that they're getting now because golf is definitely has done some great things in the last year and a half. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been a great time to cover the industry. Well, for Guy Cipriano, I'm Matt Lowell. Make sure you get your Turf Heads Takeover submissions in for the December issue. Those are due November 5th, 600 words and up. You can write about literally anything. If you have a Turf Heads grilling recipe or rub or photos, send those in. You'll be guaranteed at least a koozie. And if you're picked for submission or inclusion, I should say, in the supplement sponsored by Aquaid Solutions, you'll get a maple cutting board as well. State of the industry survey questions going out in the next couple of weeks. That's our January 2022 issue. Make sure you fill those out and just look at it this way. If you fill it out, you're helping us, but you're helping the industry as a whole. You're helping your your peers really kind of get more of a finger on what's going on around the country. And we'll be back on the Superintendent Radio Network with more podcasts starting next week. I've got a great off-the-course schedule to record that in a couple of days. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Guy has Tartan Talks. We've got... Uh, um, Beyond the Page, which will dive a little bit more into the October issue coming up soon. And our next Greens with Envy, I think we should probably do it in five weeks, and it'll probably be a recap of the Carolinas show. No, and, actually, and Matt. Are we going to do it before? We might have to do a bonus episode because there were five courses that we didn't even get to in this podcast <laughs> okay. from, a, from a, a different right. state that we were going to get into. So maybe we'll have a, a double recording session, and we'll turn it into two episodes in November. That's the last thing people want to hear is more of us. We'll, we'll figure it out. In the meantime, enjoy fall. Go out, play some courses, make sure you tell your story. For Guy Cipriano, I'm Matt Lowell. Thanks so much for listening to Greens with Envy and all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network.